Welcome to Sound of Truth Weekly Interview, where we have conversations with ordinary people to learn how our extraordinary God is at work in people's lives and in the world today. I'm your host, Brett Morani, and I'm excited you've joined us. Time for another weekly interview and time for me to talk again to one of my longtime friends. I've got Tom Shelton on the phone with me today for our Sound of Truth Weekly interview. Tom is from East Tennessee, and I was his pastor several years ago. He was one of my deacons at our church in East Tennessee. I moved to Florida. He stayed there in East Tennessee, but we've retained our friendship. We've kept talking through the years, and I'm so thrilled that he's come on and agreed to give his testimony here on Sound of Truth. Tom, good to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Now, Tom is married to Angela for how many years now, Tom? This October will be 30 years. And he's got three children. Tell us just briefly about each one of your children. My oldest is uh, 25. She is a PA. She just got her license this year and uh, is working in the healthcare field and uh, worked very hard to do that. My middle daughter, her name is Emily. She is 22 and works for the post office as a little mail carrier. And my youngest daughter is 15 and she's fixing to start her second year or her sophomore year of high school where she plays uh, volleyball and basketball. Excellent. You're a blessed man, I know. And uh, I I just was reminded of how I think I've lost part of the East Tennessee lingo being down here in Florida all these years, but you just said fixing to. Here we'd say (laughs) she's about to do this. You said she's fixing to do that. Yes. Tom's an accountant by profession, but Mm -hmm. he's also a Sunday school teacher on the side, teaches an adult Sunday school class. How long have you been doing that, Tom? Uh several years, probably close to 10 years at, at the current church. Uh, maybe not quite that long with my current church, but overall it's probably been 10 or 15 years total between the various churches I've done it in. Okay, great. Well, I've asked Tom to share his testimony with us. And so Tom, if you don't mind, let's just start off at the beginning. And if you would share your background, what kind of home were you raised in and what was your church involvement? What was your knowledge of the Lord back then? I'll just let you take it from there. Okay, sure. Well, I grew up in a, what I guess a lot of people would, would classify today as a dysfunctional home. I had an alcoholic father. We we didn't go to church, so I had no church background uh, as an early child, other than I do vaguely remember or have some memories of uh, going to what I'm pretty sure was vacation Bible school when I was when I was very young uh, during the summers. But other than that, we really didn't go to church at all. It wasn't uh, Christianity or faith was not discussed in my household. So So we were... Uh, it, it was not something that, that, that was brought up. It was not something I thought about. Uh, and it really was, was off my radar completely. I, I was into sports and, and uh, you know, just doing other things that kids do. It wasn't until I probably was in my middle school years, I guess, that I got invited to go to church with one of my best friends. He went to the, the big church in town, and his, uh, his mom would, would pick me up uh, twice on Sundays and once on Wednesdays, and, and I would basically end up going after I started going there, uh, every time the doors were open, except during basketball season, it, it was a way for me to get out of the house and get away from the living situation that I was in with, with my alcoholic father. Yeah, let me yeah. ask you a question about the your first experience with church being vacation Bible school. Mm-hmm. And you said you never talked about religion in your home. You never talked about the Lord. What was your parents' motivation for either sending you there or did you ask because your friends were going? What was... Because just I'm curious because you know I was raised in a home where we were brought to church, so vacation Bible school to me was hey this is what we do because we're we're Christians, um, our family is. But when you're in a non-Christian home or a Christian at least a home that's not practicing, what what's the story on the connection of that? Do you think when you were that age? 
you know, I, I really don't know. Uh, I never asked my mom that, uh, why why she did that. My guess is that, uh, you know, there, there were five kids. I was the eldest of five kids. So she had her hands full and uh, we were all within about seven or eight years of each other. So we were all about the same age. And I don't know this truth. I don't want to necessarily speculate, but uh, getting us in church would give us a little bit of a foundation for some of that stuff from the, from the faith aspect of it. But it also gave her a break, I'm sure, uh, mm-hmm. when... Uh, when she might have needed it when we were home all day during the summer and, and and it just gave her a break from 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 us and let her get stuff done maybe around the house that she needed to get done and then again that's just total speculation i don't know that for sure do you remember uh, what you were thinking as a child going to vbs and learning about jesus and learning stories of the bible etc and then coming home and saying we, we don't talk about this at home did, did was there any disconnect there thinking why don't we talk about this at home or, or i'm really interested in this i don't i don't remember specifically having any thoughts along that line we're wondering about it. Uh, it was just a fun thing for us to do yeah. because they always they always had snacks and they did fun activities while we were there. Gotcha. Uh, the memories that I have are really just glimpses here and there because I was so young. I, I just see. don't remember much of the details about yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Go ahead and pick up your story. When I was uh, in middle school, I started going and, and got to the point where I really liked going. I wasn't going because I wanted to learn anything about the Lord. I, I, my motivation was really the fact that uh, I had a lot of friends there. They did a lot of fun activities. And, and frankly, there was there was a lot of pretty girls there. Um, <laughs> gotcha. as, as a young as a young man, you notice things like that. Yeah, um, I think the Holy so, Spirit used a lot of pretty girls to draw people to the faith. Yes, yes. I mean that whole thing with uh, uh, what what's it called um, missionary dating mm-hmm. uh, is it, not not necessarily a good thing, but uh, it is a motivation to get a lot of guys in church. You would think. Sure. But you know that and the activities they did, uh, and and the other thing, it, it was like I said before, it was a good way for me to get out, get out of the house and get away from my dad, the the, the environment that he created mm-hmm. in my household. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, sports was was a great way for that, and a church became a way for that. It was just an escape to get out and be somewhere else and doing something else. So you let know, me I, ask I never, you, Tom, if you don't mind. Yes, sir. This environment was it emotionally, yeah. physically, verbally abusive, or? Uh, to me, it was never physically abusive, but it was very verbally and emotionally abusive. It is, you know, if you've seen all of the cliches about alcoholic fathers and how they treat their families or kids, I, I had all of that. And there were times when uh, I remember he told me that uh, I was unwanted, that I would never amount to anything. You know, he, he never physically hit me other than spankings like dads do. But he would threaten that, especially once I got a little older in my, my preteen and teen years, he would physically threaten that. Up to a point, you know, there, there was a time when, when he didn't do that. He had he had uh, gotten in my face, and I don't even remember why he was mad. You know, threw his hand back like he was going to hit me, and and told me that you know I think his phrase was something along the lines of "Me and you are going to go round and around. And uh, I always would, as a kid, I would back down and and do do what kids do. And this one particular time, I stood up to him, mm-hmm. and uh, he just turned around and walked off. And he never physically threatened me face to face again. He did it on the phone as I got older, but he never did it face to face. But that was the kind of environment that, that he created in my household. And it's not something I would ever wish on anybody to go through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I had I had great motivation to, to be gone as much as I could. Because being the oldest, when he wasn't when he wasn't uh, picking at my mom, I was the brunt of, of most of it. Mm-hmm. So you know, being in church uh, with, with my friends and doing those activities gave me that out to be away from there. And uh, like I said, I, I, I didn't get saved when I was there. I wish I could say that I did, but I, you know, I didn't pay attention to the messages per se or the lessons. Those were things that I kind of had to endure 
to get the fun stuff that, that they did. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm not proud of that fact, but that's, that's where I was at that time. Mm-hmm. But I do know that God used that time. Now I can look back on it and see that. He showed me or, or, or used that time to create a foundation for later in my life. Uh, because he showed me that there were people that interacted differently than what I saw at home. Uh, there were two men in particular in my life that uh, are in the youth group there uh, that worked with the youth group that were great examples to me. Uh, that there was something about them that drew me to them. You know, they had they both had children in the in the youth group that I was in. They helped in in various activities with with the Sunday school and the, and the activities they did uh, going out and out and about and all that stuff. And there was something different about them. And I just, at the time, I didn't know what it was, but I knew I wanted what they had. And uh, it just drew me to them. And even today, uh, if I see one of those men and I actually go to church with one of them now, he goes to the church that I go to, I have just such a special place in my heart for, for these men because they gave me an example of a better or a different way than what I had experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, now I know that it was, they were just living out their Christian faith. Then I didn't know that. I just knew there was something different about them and I wanted it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I didn't know how to get it, but I, you know, the influence they had on me, I wanted to be able to do that for other people at some point in my life. And that, that has motivated me as, as I've been in church. And when my kids have, have friends that come to the house and I know they have difficult home lives, uh, it allows me to kind of try to be that example for, for other kids that have it tough. And, and it's strictly as a result of, of me being in that situation and seeing those men and, and the, my friends family who uh, who took me in and drove me back and forth to church, the, the way I was able to see the difference uh, that Christian people lived and, and the way people were supposed to interact as opposed to just what I was getting. And, and like I said, it, it didn't it didn't result in me be, being saved at that time, but it laid a foundation that would be there later when, when God did call me. Okay. So you started during those middle school years attending church with your friends. Did you stay with that through your high school years? Tell me about your high school years. Yes, I did um, all the way through high school until I graduated high school, except during basketball season. I basically went to went to church every time the doors were open. Uh, if they did an activity, I was there. I went twice on Sundays. I went Wednesday night. If there was something they were doing on another day or a trip they went on, I went. I was, I was a church kid at that point. I, I didn't know all the lingo. I, I didn't know necessarily why I should be there as far as worshiping and uh, all that, but I was there. I was being exposed to that stuff. So up until I graduated high school, I was there regularly. Now, were your parents supportive of this? Uh, Yeah, they met well. My mom was. My dad, he really didn't interact with me much at all, uh, except when he was you know, drinking and, and, and doing, the, doing the things he said and, and that kind of thing. It was never something that was discouraged, but it really wasn't necessarily encouraged either. It's just not something that came up. It's just something, it was an activity that I did kind of like playing basketball when I, when I would leave for practices or games. It was kind of, kind of along that same lines. Now, you had mentioned to me that your parents divorced when you were a teenager. Yeah. Um, my mom stayed with my dad until I was probably 16 or 17. Uh, it was my junior or senior in high school. And finally, uh, she ended up divorcing them. It was it was really a, a a load off of me in some ways because he was no longer in the house. It it made it much tougher on her because she had five kids that she had to support, and she would work two and three jobs. And of course, we were on you know government assistance and basically every, everything they offered at that time. And and she still worked as much as she could trying to support us because he he really didn't give any any support to the family at that time. He was he able to hold hold down a job? Yeah, he worked the whole time up until 
at some point after they divorced, he ended up losing his job because of his drinking. But he worked at a very good job. You live in here for a while, you probably remember nuclear fuel services. It's a, a big government contractor dealing with fuel for submarines and things like that. Okay. Uh, he'd worked there his, his whole life and uh, he made a good living. But, you know, we struggled for money and to do things simply because every dime he had went into feeding his drinking and habit and the other activities that he was doing because he didn't just stop at drinking. So it made it very tough for us to have money to, to even eat and eat on and stuff. If, uh, if my grandparents had not had a garden that we would go and work in almost every weekend, there were times we probably would not have eaten because he spent all his money mm-hmm. on other things. But once they divorced, he still didn't give us any money. And then he ended up losing his job not long after that because of his drink. And then he couldn't give us anything. Did he? So that put, go ahead. Yeah. Did he ever seek help for his alcoholism? No. It was an, about that time, too. I don't remember what year they did this, but at some point during that time, the government declared that alcoholism was now a disease. And because he was an obvious alcoholic, he qualified for a lot of disability payments from the government. Of course, that didn't help us any, but uh, it, it helped him. Mm-hmm. To my knowledge, he never uh, he never sought any help for it. You had mentioned to me before that he didn't feel like he had a problem. No. And as an example of that, I think I shared this with you in the past. He and my mom were fighting about his drinking at one point. I remember this vividly. And um, he had told her that, like like many alcoholics do, he said, I can stop anytime I want to. And to prove that, he did. And he stopped for a whole year. Uh, And it was was probably the best year of my childhood because uh, even though he was – he was mean and grouchy all the time because he, he wanted to be drinking, but he wasn't. Uh, we had money to do things. Uh, he was there. He talked to us. But as soon as he hit his, that one year that he promised her that he was going to prove to her that he could he could stop, the very next day, he went out and got drunk. He told her, he said, see, I told you I could do it. And then he went and got drunk again. But that was his mentality. It was more important for him for that one year to prove his point than it was to go get drunk. But the rest of the time, you know, getting that alcohol was his, his only priority. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's just a, I've dealt with other alcoholics and I've seen it from, from different perspectives and, you know, getting that next drink or getting that next, that drug, whatever, whatever their truck of choice is, is really what motivates them for so much. And he was really an example of that. I thought mm-hmm. firsthand. Yeah. Wow. He went a whole year without drinking just to prove a point. And then instead of, you'd think he would, you know, go, okay, wow, life's better. This is better for my family. Instead, he's just back right to it. It's really, really tragic in a lot of ways. Yes, it is. So this is, I don't recall you saying how old you are when he did this year, but you said it was the best year of your, your childhood. So I'm assuming it was when you were younger. Yeah, I was probably... 11 or 12, okay. uh, 13 maybe. I don't remember exactly how old I was. So things reached a point, as you shared, with your mother's frustration with your dad that they ended up divorcing when you were 16, 17 years old, somewhere in that, in that range, and you were really into basketball. But mm-hmm. um, that wasn't something that was enabling you to have a bond with your father like a lot of kids have. Sports, they're able to then bond with their fathers through sports. But that didn't happen for you, did it? No. In fact, uh, he never once saw me play, never came to any of my games, never was supportive what I was doing, uh, except when I became a starter in my senior year, uh, his friends at work were telling him how good a player I was. They were patting him on the back, and you know he was he was getting credit for me being a good ball player. And I remember one day at home, he called me into the living room, and and of course he was drunk, and uh, he told me that he wanted me to do better and to become the star of the team 
but his whole motivation was not for me to be better, but for him to get more pats on the back from his friends and more recognition at work. Um, and you know, th- th- that didn't go over very well, with, very well with me because he didn't, you know, he didn't have a clue about sports or basketball in general. And uh, so that didn't, that didn't go well. And uh, just another one of our interactions that, that ended poorly. Mm-hmm. So you go through high school, you graduate from high school. What next? Went to college, um, enjoyed my time at college with East Tennessee State University uh, here in Johnson City. Um, loved college, had a great experience, um, but I got away from church. I stopped going to church. I, I, the fact that I didn't have a car, uh, I kind of used that as an excuse not to go. Uh, I really kind of wanted to fit in in the college life and, and, and embrace that, and, and, and I did. Uh, I didn't drink. I, there were certain certain uh, rules and things that I wouldn't break in my life. But uh, I, I did things so, so that I could fit in. I joined a fraternity. I played intramurals. Uh, I was involved in uh, all the things that college guys do. I, I looked at pornography and, you know, just just whatever your stereotypical college guy does, I was into that. With the major, uh, I, with one major exception, you didn't drink alcohol. You joined a fraternity and you didn't drink. Yeah, that was a that that was an interesting time, especially early on, because there was a lot of pressure, even from the guys in the fraternity that knew me, to get me to buckle and compromise that standard that I had for myself. Um, but once they learned I wouldn't, it became a, a thing that uh, those guys would actually, when other people would try to do that to me and put that pressure on me, they would actually run interference with me also later on in my college career. So they mm-hmm. understood why that I had the standard that I did because they knew why I was not willing to drink. Uh, and and I, I can share that with you, the guys. The, the, one of the reasons and the main reason why I was uh, so opposed to drinking uh, was simply because I had heard at one point that uh, alcoholism could be possibly hereditary. Don't know if that's true or not. I still don't know if it's true or not today. But I was unwilling to put myself and a possible future family that I would have through that. You know, I was not going to put somebody else through what I experienced. And so I was unwilling to even take that chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that was just a line I was unwilling to cross no matter what. And, yeah. and there was times being in a fraternity that was hard. I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. So I went through college, enjoyed college a lot. Uh, met my wife uh, my last semester in college. Uh, we were actually set up on a blind date, only blind date I ever went on. Uh, it was the best thing I ever did. Mm-hmm. Uh, met her, and uh, you know we, uh, we had kind of a whirlwind romance. Uh, we were engaged after a month and married after six months. I would not recommend that if, my, if one of my daughters came to me today and, and <laughs> gave me that timeline. I would I would be very opposed. But uh, we are, uh, Lord willing, come this October, we're going to be ex- uh, celebrating our 30th anniversary. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, we, uh, you know, went out and started our life together. And, and uh, one of the things when we started dating, though, was that she wanted me to go to church. I was going to ask, her. was she, she a person of faith at that point? She was, she was, and uh, she had uh, she had went to a church her whole life, and most of her family went to that church, and she wanted me to come to church with her, and, and in fact, that was kind of one of the uh, conditions that was kind of an un- unsaid thing. She, I don't think she would have said, or, or been upset if I had said no, but I wanted to be with her, and she wanted me to go, so I went to church with her, and again, it wasn't going because I wanted to learn about the Lord, I was going because I wanted to be with her. Yeah. Now, did she, uh, at this point in time, did you think of yourself as a Christian, but you just really weren't saved? Or did you did you know you weren't a Christian? You just went for this. I would have told people I was saved. Uh, I didn't know that I wasn't per se, uh, but if you'd have asked me, I would have said yes. I'm a, I'm a believer. So for I her, you were 
you you checked the box for her that she's a Christian, right? She was a, she was a believer, yeah. and yeah. she's probably been taught not to missionary date, not to. Yeah. And so you were acceptable because you were a believer, but she yeah. just needs to get you in church. Is that kind of what it was like? Yeah, okay. yeah, that's kind of what it was like. Um, you know, now I know that I wasn't a believer, and I know what it means to be a believer, and I wasn't in any way a believer, but I thought I was. And uh, that was enough for me at that point. Uh, so, so we went to church, but the problem was because I knew that I had embraced. I, I mean, because had I had you been baptized, if you don't mind me asking that, because that's kind of the entry uh, yeah. symbol for the Christian life. Had you had you been baptized? Yeah. And when, when I when I finish the conversion story here in a second, I'll, I'll explain that. Okay. Yeah, because I, I had a misunderstanding about that as well. But once Angela and I got married. Uh, you know, we uh, had talked about starting a family, and I knew I wanted to be a dad. I hoped to be a good dad. I knew what a bad dad was, and I hoped to be a good dad, but I wanted to be one. And after a couple of years, we, we were starting talking about timelines and, and moving forward with that. And I realized who I was was not who I wanted to be. It wasn't, I wasn't a man that, that my wife could respect uh, or that my future kids could look up to. Should God bless me with any? And it, you know, from the outside, people would not have said I was a bad guy. I didn't drink. I didn't. You know, I wasn't out doing a lot of bad things. But I knew my heart, and I knew that I wasn't somebody that that I wanted that I would have wanted as a dad. Mm. Mm-hmm. And uh, God used that to start working on me. During that time, though, I had stopped. We had stopped going to church. Um, and and st- instead of my wife pulling me up, which she did for a while, I had begun to pull her down and and break her away from her faith as well. Mm. Uh, which is generally you, you used the term a moment ago, missionary dating. That's generally what seems to happen more often than not. It's rare that the uh, the Christian in the relationship lifts up the other person. It's more likely that the the lost person brings down the Christian. And that's kind of what happened in our case. We were going along that along that path. And then when we were starting having kids, you know, I realized I started thinking about all this stuff and, and God started using that to uh, to to work on me. And uh, the church that she had grown up in, the, they changed pastors. They had brought in an interim pastor, an older man. His name was Preacher Hatfield. I'll always remember him. And somehow he knew that God was working on me. I don't know how he knew it. Uh, but we lived at that time only about two blocks from the church that she had attended her whole life. And he would go out of his way to drive by our house just to see if I was out working uh, in the yard or something. And he would stop and talk to me. And he would always end our conversations. He would say, um, I know God is working on you. And when you're ready to talk, I'll be here. And mm-hmm. uh, he never pushed me. And, mm-hmm. and had he pushed me, I would have rejected him completely. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, was, I was that fragile at that point. I would just would have shut it down and been done. But he was always very open and, and just willing to talk. And uh, he did that. I don't know, months probably. At some point, you know, God continued to work on me. And there was a day, uh, at the time I worked the second shift at the post office, Angela worked third shift, so she worked at night and slept most of the day. And uh, God was really wearing me out one day in particular. And I had some errands to run that morning before I had to go to work that afternoon. And as I was leaving the house and I drove by the church there, I saw that his car was there. So I knew he was at church working. And uh, I remember thinking, you know, if he's still there, when I come back, I'm going to talk to him. It, it's time I make this, you know, that I have to call me. It's time that I make this officially. Now, how old are you at this and, point, and Tom? I was 25, 25 or 26. I can't remember if it was 1994 or 1996. You've been married for 25 or 26. Three, two years. Two to three years. Yeah. I have it written down in an old Bible somewhere, but I don't remember the exact date. Um, but it was, it was either 94 or 95 and early, it was late spring or early summer. I, I don't remember exactly which, but, but this particular day, you know, God had been wearing me out and I said, you know, okay, 
God, if, if he's still there when I come back, I'll, I'll stop and we'll talk, I'll talk to him and we'll, we'll kind of get this settled. And I drove on by. Well, it, it was like, and, and this was, was amazing and nobody can ever take this away from me because I was there. Um, I didn't hear an audible voice like you see in the movies or something, but God's presence was with me in my truck that day. And he mm-hmm. told me in a very loud, clear manner that today was the day. And if I didn't do it right now, he was never calling me again. This was my opportunity. Wow. It was so strong of a, 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 a presence there that I had to turn around. I didn't get a block down the road. I had to turn around and go back to the church to meet with, with Preacher Hatfield. Now I, didn't, now I know I didn't need him to, to help me with this, but at the time I didn't know that. Sure. Uh, I, I went back to talk to him, and by the time I got back to the church, I was crying so hard. I don't know how he understood a word I said, mm. uh, but he knew. And, and you know, and we talked, and, and and that day the Lord saved, and uh, my life has never been the same since. Oh, praise the Lord! A, yeah, a, yeah. I had a ton of misconceptions about what being a Christian was, you know. And, and preacher Hatfield was willing to uh, work with me through those things, uh, knowing. And I told him, I said, "I'm not coming to this church." You know, I had decided we weren't going to go there. I wasn't going back there. I was going to find somewhere else, and, and he knew that. And I was baptized by him also uh, a couple of days after that. But I, I told him I didn't want to do it during a church service. It was something that I felt was a very private matter between me and God. And the only people that were there were him and me, my wife, and his wife. Hmm, interesting. Uh, yeah, and he was willing to, he, he understood. I mean, obviously he knew I was wrong about all these perceptions that I had and understandings, but he was willing to work with me because he saw what God had done. Mm, mm-hmm. And uh, I, I was very appreciative of that. Yeah, interesting. So how was Angela with your conversion? Was that surprising to her exciting to her? You mentioned that you kind of brought her down rather than her bringing you up, which, by the way, when talking about the whole missionary dating concept, and for those of our listeners who say, what are they talking about missionary dating? That is when a Christian dates a non-Christian, which we most of us believe that's not wise because the Bible teaches that Christians should marry Christians and not marry non-Christians, and that's how you Mm -hmm. marry someone is you start off by dating them, so probably wise not to date them. So back to the question, how how did she respond to your conversion? Um, I think she was a little surprised. I don't remember specifics, uh, but I don't remember sharing with her the way that God was working on me. I know she knows that, that Preacher Hatfield had been stopping by and talking to me, but I really hadn't shared some of the thoughts that I was I was having in the, the way that God was working on me and the things I was trying to work through in my mind uh, with her. So I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that she was excited and, and glad that I had uh, that God had, had done this work in my life. So yeah. From so that it, perspective, it, it, it was always a positive thing for her. Did you share this with your mother and your father when you were converted? I did. Not my, not my father. He and I hadn't spoken probably when he died, probably 20 to 25 years we hadn't spoken. That was just a situation where he just, that part of my life had ended. With other family members, I did share that. Some some accepted it. Some were, were not so accepting simply because they knew they they know me in the past, and it's much the way when anybody is saved. Uh, if you've got a little bit of a past, people know you and they remember what you were, and they're doubtful. Some of my family members kind of kind of received it that way. Mm-hmm. So, if you don't mind, let me let me press in a little bit more on this. You and your father not talking for the last twenty five years of his life. Sure. What what led up to that, and then how did that get cut off? How did it get when you say get cut off? I mean, I stopped. Communicating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, it just uh, when when my mom and dad divorced, uh, we moved into government housing, you know, assisted living housing, and um, he was just terrible uh, as far as uh, bothering us and uh, harassing us. 
And I really didn't want anything to do with him. And when I went to college, I didn't have to anymore. And uh, I had no desire to, to talk to him. And, of course, he had no desire to talk to me. And so it just kind of – it wasn't something I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to cut him off. It just happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the the anger and the animosity I had toward him uh, was, was, was great motivation not to seek him out. Now, I will say at one point in my life, you know, a few years before he passed away, I, I felt convicted. And I did try to reach out to him, um, not because I really wanted to, but because it was the right thing to do, I thought. You know, as a Christian, I should, you know, try at least to mend relationships uh, that had gone wrong. And he was by far the worst relationship I had. Um, and so I did. Uh, I, I talked to my brother. At that time, my dad had moved back into the, the mountains over home in western North Carolina, where, where our family's from. But I didn't know exactly where he lived. And uh, uh, he had, he had amended, uh, made up with, I mean, uh, my, my sister and a couple of my brothers. So I got one of my brothers and said, I need you to take me over here where he's at but, so that I can talk to him. Mm-hmm. And uh, he did. Uh, but when we got there, my dad refused to, to meet with me. Uh, found out later that he was sick again. Um, and he thought that uh, I had come over because I thought he was dying. I didn't know any of that. I had just, I was motivated to do what I thought was right, even though I wasn't, Truthfully, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to forgive him. I didn't want to, to to mend that relationship. But as a believer and somebody who was becoming a leader in a church that had leadership positions, I felt like I, I should at least try. Mm-hmm. And, and sadly, I, I'll admit that uh, when he refused to speak with me, I was a little bit in the flesh. I was a little bit relieved because sure. that took me off the hook. But, you know, I, I applaud your effort. And I think if any of our listeners are dealing with ruptured family relationships, you know, the Bible teaches us we're commanded that as far as on our end of it, we're to do all we can to try to uh, make things right. Mm-hmm. But, but if the person refuses, then, you know, there's nothing you can do, but praise the Lord that you did that and that you can look back on that and know you made an effort. Yeah. I will say for him, uh, I was told by my sister at one point before he passed away, and he did this a couple of times during his life, but I was told that he was saved, that he did uh, reach out to the Lord, and, and the Lord saved him. For his sake, I hope that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, he had done that a couple of times throughout his life, uh, generally when when his health turned bad. I know after his first heart attack, he uh, he got saved, and I put that in quotes or air quotes. Um, there was a time or two other other times in his life when he had bad health issues, uh, that he got saved, and toward the end of his life, he apparently he, he apparently got saved. And, and my sister was convinced that it was that it was true. Mm-hmm. Uh, for his sake, I hope that it was. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. So, one more question, Tom. I really appreciate the time you've taken to share your story, and I thank God for His grace in your life. How has this impacted? You know, I've heard numerous times through the years through whether it's a Christian counselor teaching on the subject or a pastor teaching on the subject. I've mentioned it that I recognize. As one who has a good relationship with my father, and, and I have my whole life, I recognize that for some people, it's a struggle to embrace the concept of the good Heavenly Father when they did not have that in their lives. In your case, has that been a struggle for you at all to perceive of God as a good Heavenly Father, or do you really identify with those who, who have that struggle? No, I definitely identify with those that have that struggle. Um, my, my experiences growing up, uh, I, my personality is a bit introverted anyway, uh, but it, it taught me because the way he was and the way he seized on manipulating 
emotions of the people around him and, and exploiting those. Uh, it taught me really to keep a lot of my emotions and, and, and things internalized. Um, and so that has affected me in, in, in a lot of ways with my future relationships, with, with my family, with other people. Uh, people seem to, I come across in a lot of ways as standoffish. I don't mean to be. I'm very, uh, I, I love to be very friendly and stuff, but people that don't know me, I come across that way. Uh, whereas I don't want to be. Uh, and with my relationship with my wife and my kids particularly, uh, it's a struggle sometimes to open up to them because I don't have that example. And I know I've got my Heavenly Father there, which can be that example, but it is hard sometimes to let that take over when I've had such strong experiences in the other direction. Mm-hmm. And that does that does affect uh, primarily my wife and my kids somewhat. I mean, I'm very loving toward my wife and kids, and I want them to always know that, and I tell them uh, regularly, things that, that my dad never told me, that I love them, that I'm proud of them, things like that. Mm, but that's good. Uh, it, it, it still is a struggle for me to be that because I'm, I, it was just so ingrained in me to be so guarded and so closed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and being, being a believer, you know, you're not supposed to be that way. I'm supposed to be you know, open and outgoing, and even if it's going to cost me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, I have struggled with that greatly. You're a man of the word. I know that you've been studying the Bible now for several years and and, and studying theology, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. How has the word of God helped renew your mind to get a proper perspective of life, who God is, and how he relates to you and how he loves you perfectly? And he, he is the, He's the father that's always running to you, like the picture. I love the picture in Luke chapter 15. Jesus telling the story of the prodigal son. We're all prodigals to a degree, and every time we enter the presence of God, maybe we sometimes, in our prayer time or whatever, struggle with, is he accepting me? Is he loving me? You know, He's probably mad at me, et cetera, but instead of Father running with open arms. Have you been able to embrace that image, and how has the Word helped you with that through the years? Yeah, it really seems to, in my personal case, it allows me to understand that no matter what I'm going through, no matter what my circumstances are in my life, there's a greater uh, reason, a greater concern that God is greater than all the things that are, that are weighing me down. Uh, you know, the day that I was saved, I felt like uh, there was this weight that was, relate, was was removed from me that I no longer had to carry, but it was a weight that I didn't even know was there. Uh, as I studied theology and, and read God's Word and, and taught God's Word, I understand that when we get that correct picture of who He is, that helps us understand who we are in Him, and that allows us the freedom to to live in, in in him and not be weighed down by our circumstances. You know, we see so many times in the world when people have bad relationships or financial issues or you know health issues, and that just weighs so much on that takes away their hope. So no matter studying God's word and, and and knowing more about Him helps us understand that no matter how bad the situation is, there's always hope because there's a greater a greater good out there that we are living for, that we are striving for, and that when we step out of this life, we have that reward waiting for us. And that gives us that eternal perspective that we all have to have. And and without that, uh, we're hoping, and, and that's really, what, when, once I started studying theology, and started getting an understanding, of, a better understanding of who God is, it just really opens up that, that hope that, that hope that we have and, and that praise that we can give to him. I don't know how else to say it. I, I could just keep I could keep going on, but it's just so, without it, it's, there, there's nothing else. Amen. 
Well, I think that's a great word to, to end on, my friend. You, you said it so eloquently and so well. The hope we have in God is the ultimate. So, Tom, thanks for coming and sharing your story and wish you the best as always. Really appreciate it. And I know that our audience was blessed and, and I hope our listeners out there were encouraged by this story. Great. Thanks for having me. God bless. You too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sound of Truth. If you enjoyed it, please rate and review it. Also, tell your friends about it. Thanks. Music is by Canon and is used by permission. Sound of Truth podcast is produced in collaboration with Harvest Jacksonville. It is copyrighted by Brett A. Mirani, 2022.